can't find the sugar. Oh, Saturday mornings. No, I miss it. Indeed, as do I. Hey, everybody, I'm Grim Shea, and joining me today is Marky. Say hi, Marky. Hello, everybody. Tell me, Marky, what do you remember about Saturday mornings as a kid? Well, and that's why we're doing the show, right? Yeah, we, we were going to get there. <laughs> no, I I just remember that, that feeling of uh, uh, freedom. Like, you would get up in the morning, and your parents are probably still asleep, and you kind of control the couch, and the TV's yours, and you get to make your own breakfast. It's usually cereal. Oh, it's always cereal. Yeah, I mean, that was that was a feeling that you get to, you know. You also, you know, I don't know if, if it was like this in your house, but you also got to stay up late on Friday. So you got to stay up late on Friday. Then you get to get up in the morning on Saturday all on your own. There's no alarm clock. There's no mom yelling at you. And you control the couch and you control the TV. And it's your first real taste of, of choice and of freedom. I love Saturday mornings. Oh, yeah. Saturday mornings are amazing. I mean, and, and, and we all knew it at the time. Everyone talked about it. Saturday morning's coming. What are you going to watch? What are you going to watch? The Smurfs guy? Uh, Spider-Man and his amazing friends. Good answer. Yeah. Good answer. Nothing wrong with the Smurfs for you Smurf guys out there. Mm-hmm. That's fine. I've seen plenty of Smurfs. Uh, I would always kind of have to watch Smurfs because I think it came on before uh, Spider-Man. Uh, I know it was always like kind of right in the middle there. Yeah, and then you know, uh, as as you kind of grew up, you know, watching those um, Saturday morning you know shows, then it became a Saved by the Bell, and you kind of grew up with those characters too. So, you know, your your kind of early crushes were you know T- uh, Tiffany Amber Thiessen, and then mm-hmm. Elizabeth Berkeley, um, oh. Lark Voorhees. You know, if you were into that too, you know, like it's it, it was a. Uh, um, it, it kind of grew up with you until that, you know, until that time where you're, you know, you kind of lose that appreciation for it. And, you know, Saturday mornings just become like any other mornings, unfortunately. True. Well, I I, I think they even just kind of, as soon as, as soon as we were old enough, they just kind of stopped putting cartoons on Saturday morning. I know. I think they're still there. They, they went a lot of other places. Yeah. They ended up on uh, syndicated and afternoon TV, Cartoon Network, USA, uh, was the cartoon train or whatever? Well, that I think was. you actually but touched on it too. There, yeah, I think the cartoon network or the cartoon culture changed a little bit. Exactly, like that was the only place to get them. Well, you know, of course, you had your after school with your He Man and your GI Joe and your Transformers. You know, it was on like around mm-hmm. three, four o'clock in the afternoon, um, and that was nice. You know, you know, I love Transformers and all that. Uh, but Saturday mornings had this this feeling of it. There was, you know, it really was yours. You know, and um, it was just nothing like it in the morning. You know, uh, having grown up in the beautiful city of Albuquerque, uh, that also that also kind of chimes um, uh, thoughts of hearing the <laughs> in October when the hot air balloons oh, were, hot air balloons, were yeah. kind of you know uh, floating over you. So um, it just really jog- it, it jogs a lot of memories. Hearing that intro, and can we just talk about that for a second? That wonderful intro. Yes, yes, I'm sure it's uh, completely legal, and uh, I've got all the contracts and signed. bulletproof. That's right, <laughs> exactly. Uh, yeah. Well, yeah. So this is the um, first show. It's actually um, show 1.2. That's uh, right. We did uh, we did this show. We uh, kind of threw it together to gauge what the what the general reaction would be. We uh, put it out on the air a couple of weeks ago. Without announcing it. Without announcing it, with no fanfare, just to see if anyone would give a damn. A lot of good response. I think people, other people do remember Saturday morning cartoons. And just that 
that little one morning a week lifestyle of you know childhood excess, nothing but sugar on your kicks and uh, sugar on your kicks. That's like innuendo. That's uh, it wasn't then, you sick <laughs> bastard. We're kids. We're children. Yeah. Well, and I I think it's also the uh, right time to also point out that you know we are part of the Maddie P Radio um, show. Uh, we're we're kind of the um, uh, Maddie P Radio. The happy hours is our you know mothership. Um, that's where you know all of our efforts are are, are focused. Um, but this particular show is it's here to kind of capture those a um, little bit more innocent moments. Uh, Maddie P uh, and the happy hour is you know a little bit more mature. You know a little bit more out there, a little more edgy. And we're here to kind of fucking a, and we're here to actually kind of you know bring it bring it back down to earth a little bit, you yeah. know, and um, celebrate those things that kind of made us. Uh, can I, I'm just gonna have to say it. It's a little bit more geeky. Let's just say it. Sure, sure. It's a little more geeky. Yeah, but I think it was a time before anyone uh, cared much about being a geek. I'm sure there was a couple kids in every school who didn't watch Saturday morning cartoons who would uh, go out and, I don't know, practice football or whatever it is that those two or three kids in every school did. (laughs) But for the most part, it was a shared culture. And we're growing up kindergarten, first, second grade. On Monday, you could talk about what everybody watched on Saturday. And that was was the original happy hour for for children and for Americans. And so that's why... You were growing up in that time period, you know, like 1975 to 1990, you had Saturday morning cartoons. It was an institution, and we miss it. We remember it. And uh turns out there's still enough of that energy in pop culture that you just dig a little bit, and you can identify it as originating from that Saturday morning, you know, entertainment sphere, which helped raise all of us. And, and, Again, yeah. except for those one or two weird kids who probably are professional athletes now. Or complete losers. We have no idea, really. I don't think they're mutually exclusive. Exactly. So uh, to kind of kick off this this whole new program, uh, we have a great opportunity to highlight uh, an, an exceptional project. That's right. I think it's it's very easy to see the the Saturday morning uh, uh, influence and in what we're talking about here, which is Space Command. Like what is God's sake? Just listen to the name of it: Space Command. Space Command is a new uh, intellectual property being uh, developed and, as we speak, being filmed. They're doing a uh, three-movie story arc, to the best of my knowledge, which they are in the midst of filming back-to-back with, I believe, a second trilogy already written and ready to go, depending on the successfulness of the first one. Uh, It's being helmed by Mark Scott Zacree, who, no small coincidence, helped write and produce most of the major Saturday morning cartoons. And I don't think that's by accident that we're bringing him on for this this particular show. Not at all. I think this is a great way to tie it all together. And uh, Space Command is not a cartoon. It is a very adult, uh, special effects-heavy, character-driven science fiction opera. As far as we can tell, we'll we'll talk to to Mr. Zakree more about it soon. But this this just the buzz that's surrounding it already is really putting me in mind of some of those great Saturday morning cartoon moments. Those you know those those benders of imagination and Count Chocula until you were 
physically ill on the carpet in front of the TV at 12:30 with the curtains drawn. Mm-hmm. That kind of that sugar high that only only Count Chocula could give you. Oh, it was great. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, I, I think we should actually try to set the mood a little bit. So why don't we take a quick break? Let's bring in some of the music um, from Space Command. Uh, the uh, producers of that were uh, gracious enough to actually send us some, some of the, um, the early uh, uh, clips of the music. So why don't we play some of that right now? And when we come back, we're going to talk a little bit more about uh, Space Command. And we're going to announce our interviews for our inaugural show. Um, so let's go ahead and click to that right now. We'll uh, we'll be back with you in 60 seconds. Yeah, a short musical interlude. March, probably a preliminary title, but by uh, David Reichlin. I hope I'm saying that right. Very talented composer. Um, we did get a number of little pieces from him, and they all sound good. They all have that high-minded, you know, uh, high production value. Virtuistic. Yeah. This know. is not. This is uh, this is not some cheesy USA made-for-TV thing. I think they are putting some real money into it, and I'm excited about that. It's only going to make it that much better. Uh, we're actually going to be talking to Mr. Reichlin or Raiklin, or uh, my apologies, sir, but uh, he's going to be on the show next week, most likely. We're going to try and pry a little more into both music and the Space Command experience. In the meantime, though, to keep those whistle, those whistles wet. What do we have for him now? Well, uh, I thought let's just uh, let's cut to Doug Jones. You may not know his his name. You know him though. You may not know his face. You know his you know his form. But yes, he he has been in just about everything. Space Command is just one of a number of things that he will be in in the future, and he has been. Oh, Mark, you want to name a few of them? I mean, uh, oh, you geez. got um, uh, Hellboy. You got both Hellboy movies and counting. Uh, Falling Skies. Falling Skies. My favorite movie of all time is Pan's Labyrinth. He's in that. Pan's Labyrinth. In it multiple times. Yeah, he's multiple More than just one character. He's the man behind the mask. As literally as you can mean that. He is. If you've ever seen a cool creature in a movie or TV show, odds are you're looking at Doug Jones right there. So we're going to bring you this interview. Uh, It was... Recorded. Yeah. Uh, I think we recorded it earlier this summer with uh, I think it was uh, Rico, myself, and you, Marquis. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was a good time. We did a live chat with him, and he was a pleasure to speak with. 
So much so, so that we're going to bring it back. Yeah, we're bringing it back. Yeah, we do we do get to talking about Space Command towards the end, but we touch on a lot of other things, uh, Falling Skies, John Dies at the End, uh, anything Guillermo del Toro. Love that guy. Mm-hmm. So please keep your ears open and enjoy this interview, and we'll be back with you soon. I want everyone to please welcome a man who has enough IMDb credits to buy a boat. He's the star of Hellboy 1 and 2, Pan's Labyrinth, Falling Skies, John Dies at the End, and many, many, many more. The Silver Surfer himself, Mr. Doug Jones. Ho, ho! Jones, hey, you thank there? you. You know, And with an introduction like that, I, I really wish you could buy a boat with IMDb credits. <laughs> <laughs> I, I always figured nice. that's how it worked. <laughs> I <don't, laughs> right. Just bring your laptop with you, and, and you're ready to go. Oh, I'd wear them like badges if I had any. Well, uh, listen, before I, I hope this doesn't set the wrong tone, but before we get going, uh, first, you're on the line with uh, me, Grimshay. I've got uh, Mark E., and uh, Rico is uh, out on the other coast listening in. Hello. Hey, everybody. And I just hey, want to say we talked to uh, to Connor Jessup, your co-star from, uh, from Falling Skies yesterday, and yeah, he welcome. asked us to ask you, Uh-oh. and I quote, can I cup? Now, did we just fall for a prank? Yeah. Did he just burn us? What is Can I Cup? Now, that sounds horrible when you don't have context. Um, please put some context in this, because we think it's a joke. We just oh don't want to be gosh. I wish I wish he would have added your face on there, because that would have cleared things up. Oh, he may have. I don't know. I was taking shorthand notes. Right. Well, can I Cup? I, Here's what happens. When I'm in my full Cochise makeup and, and alien costume on the set of Falling Skies, um, I'm a bit of a fascination for all the kids on the show because I'm, I'm, like I'm a life-size plushy toy. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> yeah. So uh, so all of them. And, of course, Connor's just 19 years old. Last year he was 18. Uh, and then, of course, little Maxim Knight uh, uh, plays, um, uh, you know, little Matt. Uh, and so whenever I'm talking to the kids – I'll pet them on the head and say, "You're such a good puppy." Can I cup? And I'll and I'll put my hand on their face and they'll say and they'll just kind of lean into it. Uh, so <laughs> that's something that Connor has taken a liking to, and I can't get believe you mentioned that on the air. Thank you for that. Well, well, that's uh, I I feel a lot better. Imagination. Okay, I feel out. like I have a dirty Trust mind. Me, we all do. <laughs> we all just wanted to get that out of the way real quick yeah. before we get into the real nitty gritty interview here. Good. All right. <laughs> So oh, good. I think we're all still on good terms here. So let's just yeah, carry it. Yeah, we're all all good. No one's going to jail. Yeah, yeah good, I think good. that's all been explained away. Yeah, it's right. early. <laughs> uh, now you seem to be uh, Guillermo del Toro's like go-to creature guy, kind of like the Andy Circus to his Peter Jackson. And I'm just fascinated on how like a partnership like that can evolve. Well, uh, you know, me too. Honestly, I, I never in my wildest dreams thought that I would find a director of his caliber that would uh, that would take me under his wing like he has and groomed me like he has. Um, we met uh, for the first time on, in 1997 on Mimic, which was his his first American feature film with a big budget and a studio attached. So uh, he, had, he had had quite a reputation in Mexico before that. And his first feature film, Cronus, was already out by then, but um, but a lot of American people didn't know that, so including me. I, I so when I met him, I was I was called in to do some reshoots on Mimic, just to work three days as one of his Long John Bug guys, and um, 
it was during a, uh, one of our lunch breaks that he sat and talked to me and uh, asked me all about my history and who, what have what have you been in before? Tell me everything. So he, he, he was very <laughs> inquisitive, and and he had the kind of in, uh, inquisitive mind that would accompany a fanboy or an eight year old boy. You know what I'm saying? Like he's he was he's got such a childlike quality about him, and such a love for creepy crawly monster things that um, that he loved hearing my whole resume and um, and asked me if I had a card. Uh, so I did. Uh, we did that exchange, and then I didn't hear from him for five years. I went on and did other jobs. And then in 2002, he was prepping the first Hellboy movie, and they had sculpted a maquette of the Abe Sapien character. And everybody at the Spectral Motion Creature Shop said, "You know, this kind of looks like Doug Jones." And then he said, "Doug Jones, I know Doug Jones." And he pulled <laughs> my card out of his wallet five years later. So, oh. so that's the kind of you a, don't need no thinking, Doug Jones. That's right. Point if you said that. <laughs> That's that's uh, well. That's a good argument for getting good quality cards. Vistaprint. Vistaprint. Dot com. Well, that's uh, that's a stroke of stroke of luck, I think, for all of us that uh, that he still had your card and that you uh, well, got your yeah. foot in that door so squarely, and that you've stayed so busy. I I have my computer here. Um, yeah. Jack Jack Nicholson under uh, his acting credits, he has seventy five titles. You. Have 113 titles. Oh well, my gosh! So now, now there's you are a better for Jack that. <laughs> uh, Jack Nicholson probably wouldn't do all the short films and web series that I say yes to in, in between my bigger projects. Well, he's just a quitter. That's why. He's just a, he's a he's a wimp. He can't take it. Yeah. Yes, he has yet to call me back about my web short. Okay. <laughs> right. okay. There we go. There we go. Yeah, already don't like him. Already. Okay. Right. Uh, exactly. In fact, it, when you're that when you're that busy, how do you even decide what you're going to do next? I mean, it sounds like like you just must be getting junk mail volume of of requests to be in things. How do you how do you pick out from that pile? Yeah. Well, you do. You um, it starts with with a good script for me. I try. I try. I, you know, there's people listening to this right now that that'll say, "Yeah, you haven't read my script yet, Doug." Well, I, I'm trying. I try to read everything that I'm that I'm submitted, uh, uh, so that I can see if it's you know if I if I need to pass, I'll know why. And if I if I if it's something that's golden that I must do, then I'll know why. Um, and the next thing would be uh, if it's a story that I need to tell or if I that I want to be a part of that moves me in some way or makes me laugh. Uh, and then the character is it a character that also moves me or that I can learn something from that I feel safe inviting into my heart to play through me that that I want to get to know better uh, and the third thing is the director whose hands am I going to be in um, what kind of creative writer are we going to be on you know uh, so uh, if those things are in place and and if they don't have any money it's a it's an indie indie thing with with like very little budget. Um, uh, I'll say yes based on those first three things if my schedule will allow it. Now, of course, money jobs have to come first, but um, but uh, but you'll find yourself with a lull here and there, and, and uh, like a month where you don't have before your next thing starts, and you can work in some of those things. And I've met a lot of brilliant young upcoming directors along the way because of this that um, that I would end up doing anything for it um, after that because I just trust their their sensibilities and their sense of humor and their their timing and their their storytelling. So, so Guillermo del Toro calls you up tomorrow and says, "Hey, good news! I got I, you twenty bucks. One afternoon's work. We're doing a pizza commercial. <laughs> would you do it? <laughs> you jump right. I on. would. So yeah, I know. For Guillermo del Toro, I would take a dump on the pavement if he would film it. <laughs> I agree. <laughs> that, guy, that guy is just amazing. I would probably. He, he would turn that into something gorgeous. Yeah. Yeah, he would. It would be he all. Would. 
it would turn into an alien robot thing, and it would be <laughs> kind of turd morph. Be awesome. Uh, I have a really quick question. We 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 had a couple of your future co co stars on the uh, yes. Maddie P Happy Hour, um, and it's a project that you did called Monster School, or that you're about to do, or that you've done and it's not come out yet. But Monster School, um, we had a couple of your of um, of your co stars on there. Tiffany Brower was on here, and Madison mm-hmm. Dillon. Oh, great. And, yeah, tell me a little bit about Monster School. Yeah, I have a couple of projects that haven't been shot yet that, that I'm excited about. One of them is Monster School. The other one is Space Command, which we can talk about in a second, too. Um, but Monster School is, uh, I think, what, what the, process, the, 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 the place it's in right now is they're, they're doing a web uh, comic book of it that we're all going to voice our own characters for. <clears throat> the live-action movie is yet to come, uh, and that's going to be something – if you couple Harry Potter with the X-Men first class kind of a thing, uh, we have an academy where uh, where we take in uh, kids who have an inner monster that needs to be groomed and, and taught how to display itself. Um, so, so I play, But the twist on this is that, that all of us who work at the school, I'm headmaster Doug Jones, and then there's also uh, uh, hopefully, you know, there's, Oh gosh, the janitor is played by. Uh, I'm thinking it's. Uh, uh, oh, I, all my names have gone. Ah, curses! Uh, Reggie Bannister is in it, and uh, um, Tony Todd is in it, and, and everybody plays a teacher or a gym coach or something. Uh, but we're all going by our own names, so it, it's as if these actors from the horror sci-fi genre are actually working <laughs> at a school teaching kids how to be monsters. And it turns out that we all are monsters within ourselves as well that we don't just play them on tv and film so that's the concept there and it's, it's, kind of, it's actually very, very fam, family friendly and very fun yeah and i think, I think wow. uh, dean Hagland, who you're having on later today he's also well he's going to be part of space command which is coming uh, another one that is yet to be done um yeah. space command is a is a is an old school sci-fi uh property there uh mark zacree is our as our writer and he'll be on the show next week, we think. Actually. Oh, good. You're talking to Mark. Yep. Excellent. He'll he'll tell you more about it. He's and he talks fast, so keep up. Uh, but <laughs> but uh, he's a genius, brilliant man, and he he's created this this world that that brings back like the sci-fi of of the olden days of like the 50s when you're watching things in black and white when a spaceship was on wires flying past you. Uh, it's that kind of of love, but with also today's technology. So they couple. Uh, that that old school, uh, you know, we can go win. We can go win the forces of evil, and you'll beat them in the universe out there if we fly around fast enough and, you know, and shoot enough guns. Um, wow. Uh, and it's, it's that with with a whole with visual effects that are that are you know just stunning. Uh, but the, even the style of his spaceship is is very 1960s, 50s ish. Um, so and I get to play the android on that on this in this movie Space Command. Uh, my android name is Dor Nevin. And uh, and I'm sort of like an android who who has taken on more human characteristics than he was supposed to, so that that might cause a problem. They always do. As soon That's as those right, you have to smack those droids back down. Right. <laughs> yeah, the droids are always the patsies. Oh, I know. Yeah. Well, that so so I'm guessing you're going to be in costume for the droid. Uh, Role again. Uh, kind of a yes and no. Uh, they they went they did the conceptual designs based on my face. Uh, it's based a, a little bit of pasty makeup and then a, a headgear piece that kind of goes around the crown of my head. I'll be hairless with a shaved head and and a, a great costume with a high collar and it looks very very stiff and prim and put together. But it is a bit of me in there. 
Oh, okay. So so almost no makeup by your usual. Which is family. great, right? Yeah. yeah. Well, and and um, I was actually looking at some of your like characters and things, and you you always seem to come through the mask or the makeup. You know, is, is that by design? Like, do you have to ask for that, or is that just the way the the makeup falls on you? I mean, you can always just kind of tell it's you. Well, that's that's very kind of you. Thank you. I um I think that is not by design necessarily. Uh, I, I've certainly never requested. I I. I I leave the design work up to those Oscar-winning, you know, artists that, that create all all those monsters I get to wear. For me, I, I think I think it would be because I'm I'm well, I'm six three and a half. I weigh 140 pounds. That, that's kind of a distinctive look right there, anyway. <laughs> you got it. Uh, so, so when you start putting rubber on that, it's still it's still a tall, skinny guy. And uh, uh, but even like my face, like I I've had people tell me that Abe Sapien, even from the Hellboy movies, they see a lot of Dougie Jones in there. Yeah, and. Yeah. Uh, and I, 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 and even even in uh, On Falling Skies now, the, my Cochise alien, um, there's a little bit of Dougie Jones there too. Even yeah. though I've got these wide bulbous eyes that are set way out and they're golden colored, and uh, there's still something. I think it's the mouth. When when the mouth is glued yeah. down to my own, and I'm doing and I'm and I'm uh, and you can see my mouth, you know, creating the dialogue as we go. Uh, there, there is a certain personality of Doug Jones that, that is going to come through. I'm, I'm sure, sure. Yeah, it's it's very strong in the uh, Fawn character of um, Pan Lambert. Oh, mm-hmm. very very. Well, strong thank you. He's it, another one of my that favorites. is um, that is I I believe that's the best movie I've ever seen. To, to be honest, it with is you. my favorite it, film I've ever been in. It's the perfect movie. Yeah, yeah. It just blows your mind when you're when you're yeah. watching that thing. So it just that is one you can rewatch. Compliments re-watch, to the yeah. chef on that one. You yeah. guys just kicked ass. <laughs> I thank yep. you, and I'm sure Guillermo del Toro thanks you as well. And, and he doesn't and the, care what I think at all. Well, oh, well I think you do work extra hard for that movie, though. I mean, uh, from what I understand, yeah. you you actually learned some archaic Spanish to do that. Oh, and gosh. I just got back from Spain with a semi decent Spanish vocabulary, and no yeah. one understood what I was saying. So right. my hats off to you for uh, being able to deliver this uh, this you know non native dialogue, which I know you've done in. Uh, a French movie too, the uh, uh, game board, yeah. uh, heroic life. Yes, uh, that is that is the most difficult thing I'll ever be asked to do is when I'm wearing a five-hour makeup application on stilts and having to deliver paragraphs of a language I don't speak. Uh, that, that was that was a mind bender. That that uh, working on Pan's Labyrinth and Games Board both, but. Um, um, it's. Uh, it, I find that it, it doesn't matter if it's archaic Spanish or modern Spanish. I don't know either one of them. So, so I, I, I exactly. Well, at least you can say that. But you've got to start reading your contracts better, or at I least know, check tell me about it. If they were, if they were only in English. <laughs> oh, now um, speaking of the whole costume thing, though, and this is just something that's occurred to me in the past watching the Hellboy movies, because uh, between you and uh, and Ron Perlman who also does about half his roles in heavy makeup or full costume. Did you ever just have to look at each other on the set between takes and, like, sigh? <laughs> I will give you the best <laughs> sigh moment ever. Um, after, after we filmed Hellboy 1, of course, uh, it took four years before we were back filming Hellboy 2. On our very first day, uh, uh, Ron Perlman and I were being made up in chairs next to each other. Now, normally we, we, we have... He has his own Hellboy trailer, and I have my own uh, Abe Sapien trailer for the makeup team because our pieces are hung up, and, and, and we, it takes a team of, like, three people to get us done. So we each need our own trailer because there's so many supplies that come with us. But that first day, we, they didn't have the second trailer up yet, so I was in with Ron, 
and I know both of our makeup teams were crowded into this this <laughs> makeup trailer. We uh, it's the end of the day. We've just put in uh, you know at least twelve hours, if not eighteen. And we're getting undone and cleaned up, and finally his face comes off with red bits and smudges and smears all over him, and glue bits stuck in his hair. And I'm getting my blue bits off, and like all, I finally I can pop my face out, and uh, there I am with like my hair stuck to the side of my head and blue smears on my nose and oh. glue bits, <laughs> boogers on my neck. I look at him, he looks at me, and all he said was, six months." Six days a week. <laughs> That's you're what we still, had ahead of us. You're still that was six our first away at that point. Our, that was our first day of a six-month <laughs> shoot, six days a week, and we were just both thinking, "Oh my gosh, how are we going to survive this?" Oh, I'm I'm sorry, I didn't pay more to see that movie. Now, well, you are underpaid. <laughs> <laughs> you deserve more. I illegally downloaded it. <laughs> oh, yeah, bless Just kidding, heart. I did not. I caught it on Netflix. That's eight bucks a month. Yeah, he'll he'll mail you some money though. Hearing <laughs> this story, a couple I think. Thank you. Good job, good job. And, you know, I I just got back from Comic Con, uh, and I saw the gentle giant figure of the fawn. You know, in the in the oh, glass. That's beautiful. There. Yeah. Well, I was actually going to ask. Yeah, I was I was about to ask you. You know, what's it like seeing yourself? In you know, in statue form and 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 you yeah. being a part of that. So you know, what's that whole process like? Well, that, well it's it, it's rather it's rather a, a egocentric for me. I mean, it's it's easy to get a big head like yeah, I'm a, I'm a statue. I'm an action figure. I'm a toy. A three hundred dollar <laughs> toy. You know, like <laughs> it's, it's, it's a four hundred dollar toy. Four hundred dollar toy. It is beautiful. It's it's gorgeous. Yeah. Uh, well, that is General Giant's fourth. Um, statue they've made from uh, Pan's Labyrinth. They've done, that's their second fawn, and they've also done two uh, Pale Man figures. Mm-hmm. Um, and they're just, they're all stunning and, and very true to true to life. Um, I've also been um, toys and statues and action figures from the Hellboy movies, from the Silver Surfer movie, from uh, oh, uh, oh golly, it, it, the gentleman from Buffy the Vampire Slayer, uh, and it goes all the way back to my, my early days. One of my first jobs was um, the TV commercial campaign for McDonald's called Mac Tonight. If you remember that Crescent Moonhead? Yes, I absolutely that. remember that. <laughs> Sang it about that was that, that was, was me in that Moonhead. No way. Yeah. <laughs> when the clock strikes, hey, half past six, baby. No. Oh, yeah, that was me. Uh, and, uh, so that, that was you are first. in everything. <laughs> I, I just have been. Yeah, that was my first time. Uh, they turned that character into. Hand puppets and toys that went in the Happy Meals and beach towels, sippy cups, uh-huh. lunch boxes. I was that, that was that was my 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 introduction into being a, a a toy, and oh my gosh, I um it was really weird when you see you know a, a, a car drive by and their license plate frame is a Mac Tonight figure. You know what I'm saying? It's, like, it's ridiculous. <laughs> Do you actually get to get like like one of them for free at least? Do you you know? Do you um, have a I collection? Get one of your- I have. I, I think, if I'm not crazy, I think I have one of everything I've been for free. Uh, yes, I've got them all. <laughs> I'd love that. So, I'd love to take a picture of that. That is. That well, is. yeah. So I, I told I told the lovely Mrs. Lori uh, when I die, or bef- right before I die, make sure I sign every figure in this house so you can sell them on eBay. <laughs> <laughs> that's excellent. Oh, that's that's well. I hate to break away again, but now I want to get into some rumor territory, and maybe Uh-oh. you can you can stop some rumors here and turn them into facts. What can you tell us about Hellboy Three? Oh right, there's the rumor of the day. Well, you know, uh, 
rumors of Hellboy 3 got, got stirred up because Ron Perlman was recently in Pacific Rim with Guillermo del Toro directing. Mm-hmm. And they were doing the press tour together, uh, and when Ron Perlman and Guillermo del Toro are sitting in the same room, just like when I and Guillermo del Toro are sitting in the same room, or Ron and I are sitting in the same room, everybody <laughs> wants to know what's happening with Hellboy 3. And uh, so on one of their early press tours, uh, somebody asked that from the audience, and Ron said, I would love to do it. It's a favorite character I've ever played. So that got everybody Twittering and Facebooking immediately. It's going to happen, you guys! Right? So... <laughs> Which was, whoa, 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 whoa. Uh, and Guillermo del Toro also would love to do a Hellboy 3. He's got the story in mind. He's always had it in mind. Um, but uh, Ron and, and Guillermo and I, even though we all want to do the movie desperately and the fans deserve a part three, they've been waiting for a part three, the story was left open for one, what we're missing is $200 million and a studio to back it. There you go. Wow. Oh, so if you have lots of like rich friends. Yeah, right. I have none. <laughs> Well, and this this world desperately needs another comic book movie, right? Like right now. Right, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> right. It's been about like, a week you guys now. Wait until like you know, it's give it another five years, let this whole thing pass, and then bang, you guys come out with the Hellboy three. It's the biggest thing. That's right. that's my suggestion. Wow. That's a great idea. <laughs> Thank you. Well, you you sound sincere, but I also know you don't want to get back into makeup, so I'm not going to hold no. it against you. <laughs> no, you know what? I'm, I'm curious to know if you were interested in doing more comedy. I mean, you started out in a couple little things. I mean, you were even on In Living Color, apparently. I was. I did three episodes of In you Living know, Color back in the day. You know, oh, wow. and the Weird Al show, and I mean, yep. you played the um, the gay robot and Nick Wilson's uh, <laughs> the Ten Time. I mean. It, you know, do you, I mean, that's still in costume, but, I mean, are you interested in doing more, Absolutely. more comedy? Yeah. In fact, I'm glad you brought that up because I, um, I just last season, uh, uh, the new show on ABC called The Neighbors, uh, it's about a, 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 a family that moves into a, a gated community in New Jersey, and, and they don't realize when they move in that all of their neighbors in that community are aliens from outer space who are posing as humans. So uh, I the, think the, that's just New Jersey. Or is it just Jersey? <laughs> wow. Uh, so so the, uh, the, the show was actually a big hit. It, it played right before Modern Family on Wednesday nights, and now it's going to be moving to Friday nights. They've renewed it for season two, and I had the, the honor of being a recurring guest on the show. I played, I did six episodes, and all of us alien people on the show go by, by we name ourselves after famous um, uh, uh, athletes because we think that's that's Earth's best people. So I go by the name of Dominique Wilkins, who was a basketball player from, like, the Michael Jordan era. Oh, we know him. He was yeah. the, Atlanta. the best okay. dunker up here. Excellent. There you go. So, uh, But, of course, I look nothing like him, as you might have guessed. <laughs> so we also have Mary Lou Retton on the show and uh, uh, Jackie Joyner-Kersey and Larry Bird. And <laughs> so it's it's just an absolute uh, joy to be uh, on such a very silly, silly show. We even did a musical episode. It was episode number 20 of season one. And that was probably the job that I could have died happy right after doing. Uh, to be on a sitcom and, and creating laughs and singing and dancing while doing it was just absolute dream come true for me. Wow. Well, we, we've heard you actually have a pretty impressive singing voice. And I well, love I don't want to boast. A Mac the Knife. Oh, no. <laughs> Go ahead. Give, give, us, give us a four-minute song. A <laughs> four-minute song? 
I'll just put you on the spot right now. Uh, all right. If your if your backup isn't there, I'll I'll give you, I'll cut you a break. Yeah, if you want to lose listeners, let's do that. <laughs> well, we have five. Now. This show doesn't five. have any listeners. You you have five. <laughs> you want to five, them, but they're big. They're big. Yeah, they're, we love yeah. them. Yeah, my mom is not going to turn this show off no matter what you say. <laughs> Uh, now I, I have a personal question, just me. I, I'm not sure, again, like we have no listeners. I'm not sure if anyone else saw this movie, but I personally love it. I just saw John dies at the end about a month ago. You and a lot of people, like the, the people come Uh, out of the woodwork and confess to me all the time. They've seen that movie and love it. Oh, I've been running around asking people if they've seen it. No one's even heard of it. It tells you the ending. Isn't that weird? Yeah. No. Well, not the but he doesn't. It's deceiving. Oh, well. The title's deceiving, but um, John, so John doesn't deceiving. die at the end. Well, well yeah, I, don't I, I don't want. I can't say. Spoiler alert! Come on, I'm, I'm not going to spoil this for you. Uh, I'm watching it tonight. I'll confuse. But go. this is uh, and another example of, of where you know if you've got your eyes open, you can see Doug Jones without makeup. Without makeup places. on, exactly. Mm-hmm. And also, and if, you're, if we're talking comedy, this is—it's kind of a—I would say it's in the horror sci-fi genre, but it's also an extremely funny movie. It's a lot. Uh, it's done by uh, uh, director writer Don Coscarelli, who adapted the book John Dies at the End. And Don Coscarelli is also the, the same director who brought you the Phantasm movies and Bubba Hotep and the Beastmaster with Mark Singer. Oh, I didn't know about the Beastmaster. Yeah. Yeah, I, I know. I don't know. Had done Bubba Hotep. We right. love Bubba Hotep in this house, sir. We okay. Love Bubba okay. Hotep. Yes, we do. Yes, <laughs> you do not have to worry about that. We all, When I saw that, like at the Best Buy or whatever, I bought it without knowing anything about it, just by the cover. Got, <laughs> of course you did. <laughs> of course I did. It was the best. Anyway, go on. Go on. I'm, I'm no, sorry. Well, to I'm sure anything. a lot of them got sold that way. People, what is this? <laughs> oh, and then they just think of that. Nobody heard about Bruce Bubba Campbell. Hotep. Is is, is as Elvis? As Elvis. So you can't go wrong with that cover, exactly. With a busted up crank. Anyway, go on. <laughs> well, you know, that will happen. Speaking of that, I know you're you're a contortionist, too. Well, you know, it, it sure is to written about a lot. Anyway. Uh, I, I can put my legs behind my head, have been able to since I was an early teen, and uh, and stop with the, the innuendos that are about to happen. Um but I'm actually just trying to get the vision of a six foot four guy or whatever doing that with his legs behind his head. It's <laughs> awful. Go on. You know what most people ask me, of course. What most guys ask me is, "Well, so can you?" You know what I mean? Oh yeah. See, I didn't. I didn't think about that, but now I'm curious. I, yeah, I didn't I think, think of that. I was. I was that. thinking more lines of what's like the craziest position or some you know some crazy names I never heard of things that you got to do. But since you asked the question, well, can you? I can't answer because you know because if I say uh, no, I can't. That means I tried, and if I say yes, I can, then I'm just a perv and I shouldn't be on the phone. Doug, we've all tried. It's just come on. <laughs> far from yeah. it. In a way, it's not a win-win for you. <laughs> right. <laughs> all right. Well, before I we think the answer was yes, we wouldn't see 113 titles. It'd be more like three. <laughs> I've obviously had time for other things. <laughs> Sorry, guys. Got to go. <laughs> I'm busy tonight. I'm busy. job. <laughs> All right. Well, now, I know you're busy, and before we let you go, I just, uh, you know, once again into the rumor mill, we were talking to Connor Jessup about the upcoming fourth season of Fallen Skies on TNT, yes. and he convinced us that the writers really didn't give him any details whatsoever. 
So maybe you could tell us, are they just going to kill him off and they haven't had the heart to tell him yet? <laughs> yeah. Oh, really? Because they told all of us. I'm not sure. Why did they tell Connor? I'm sure. No, no, no. Like, I, I, I'm going to uh, echo what Connor said. I have no clue what's coming up for season four. In fact, I just found out myself two days ago that I got picked up for season four. So I have no idea in what way. Well, I haven't seen the finale yet. I've seen every other episode, so I, I guess okay. you don't die. So that's good. I had no idea. And be, well, and um, I just want to say before we let you go again that, uh, and I I say this to Connor over and over and over again, uh, that show was saved, and you know, because of your character on it. I mean, it was it wasn't it was a good show, but I was waiting yeah. for it to get into the great you know level. And as soon as your character shows up, I think it skyrocketed, you know, into greatness. So you oh. are doing great work, sir. You are saving well, sci-fi almost by yourself. Well, you are very, very kind. Thank you. And if you, if, when you see that season finale that just aired uh, last Sunday, uh, you are going to see me playing multiple Volm characters in it. I, uh, I play yeah. my own father in this episode. Yes. Whoa. So, okay. so we, did, we shot it. We, we shot a Patty Duke get, style. Oh. Oh, that's awesome. I'm in. Yeah, yeah. I'm in. So All I, right, well, I got to have conversations with myself. <laughs> that that's, that must be better than what you've just sat through. <laughs> <laughs> no, you guys are uh, delightful. Are you kidding me? Thank you. Thank you. Thank oh, you. you're just being kind, I think. Well, in that spirit, we'll give you another 20 minutes to plug your next few upcoming projects. Research the, the, the web series. There you go. On, go to YouTube and, and type in research, uh, or, or go to researchseries.com. It's with uh, it's a hilarious web series with Barry Bostwick and myself, and I, I can't recommend it enough. Both leads. All right. Well, uh, thank you again. Uh, don't forget I'm to be catch that. that out. Out. I need to know this. Yeah. Uh, upcoming on the neighbors on Space Command on Monster School. Look for him. Research the web series and TNT's Falling Skies beginning production for season four. I think in about a month or so. September so caught up. September ten. Go. We're talking to Mac the Knife himself, guys. Mac tonight. Oh. <laughs> he, and, and and if you're just tuning in, you missed out. We already heard some of the Mac the Mac tonight song. <laughs> He's not doing it again in public. He already told us. So thank you for coming on today. Uh, this is Marquis Grimshay. You got Rico on the line. We are on the. We're. We just got through with Mr. Doug Doug Jones. Thank you again for for joining us. It was a thank real pleasure. You, guys. You. you are a legend oh. in film and TV. Keep it up. You're doing. You're doing the Lord's work. Yeah. Please yeah, come thank back. Thank you so much. <laughs> All right, thanks, Doug. All right, thanks a bunch. Tell us a little something about where it's set. 
I don't know. I don't want to spoil it, but I have a feeling that's a clue. Anyway, next up is the actual man behind the show. We 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 just uh, touched on Space Command a little bit while talking to Doug Jones, but this next interview is nothing but Space Command. We're talking with Mark Scott Zacree. Uh, it was an interview I did with him earlier this uh, this summer, uh, right after he had begun production. So he, uh, he it's still fresh in his mind, and you can hear the enthusiasm he's got for this project. This is clearly something he's been sitting on and creating by himself for a number of years, and he's got binders and binders full of Space Command. Well, and he he does capture this this feeling of Saturday morning cereal. Right? Oh, he, he does, and for a good reason. He, exactly. He helped write half of those shows. That's where he he cut his teeth. Uh, we even we even get to talking a little bit about that in the interview. And uh, won't you join us, please? A man whose face you may never see, but whose work you'll never forget, Mark Scott Zacree. Please now welcome a TV writer who probably helped raise you if you were alive in the 80s with shows like The Smurfs, Super Friends, He-Man. Right up through the 90s, he was writing for Star Trek Next Generation, Star Trek Deep Space Nine, Sliders, Babylon 5, and he's still going. He still has the super-buzzed upcoming Space Command, writer, director, producer, sci-fi extraordinaire, Mark Scott Zacree. Mark, are you there? You bet I am, Grim. Glad to be here. Oh, thank you so much. Yeah, you're just you're here with just me, Grim Shea, today. Uh, but on behalf of everyone in the Matty P Radio Happy Hour family, I want to thank you because I know you've got to be so busy. I know you're doing <laughs> aside from the Space Command. Yeah, well, it's it's uh, it's great. I just finished uh, doing a book with Guillermo del Toro called Cabinet of Curiosities, and we're doing the six Space Command films. So it's. Uh, it's a it's a busy schedule, but it's really very gratifying, very very fun. Now there's a bunch of stuff that I want to ask you about, but let's just go ahead sure. and get this elephant in the room out of the way. Everybody wants to know <laughs> more about Space Command. You bet. Well, um, I, you know, for for many decades, I, I worked exclusively for the studios and the networks. I worked for all the major ones. You know, hundreds of hours of network TV. And uh, but I've been here. I mentor a lot of young people in the industry, and I've been hearing more and more about Kickstarter. And I was very intrigued with uh, with the notion of seeing uh, if I could raise money because I'd never done it before. And a young director named Neil Johnson had um, had moved to L.A. for me to mentor him, and he'd been making low-budget science fiction films back-to-back, all profitable. He made 10 in a row. And we were looking for a project to do together, and uh, and I came up with the idea of Space Command, which is it's basically uh, a big epic story that covers 150 years in the future, uh, five generations of three families as we go out into space, colonize the solar system, and jump to the stars. And uh, and so we said, well, let's see if we can raise the money to get this ball rolling on Kickstarter. And uh, we set a target, a two-month campaign, to try to raise $75,000, and we hit that target in just over three days. And we kept going, and we raised two hundred and twenty-one thousand, two hundred twenty-one thousand dollars, and uh, and now we're in pre-production, and we start shooting in the next few months, and we're going to make six films back to back to start, and uh, it's very very exciting. This sounds like an ambitious plan, but I've, it's it also sounds like you were pretty validated with the Kickstarter experience. 
Yes, and we have we have more people putting in money now. We have investors who are putting in money and uh, and lots of interest. The the Air Force is now officially board aboard as as one of our partners, and uh, we've got a lot of interesting uh, a lot of interest from publishing and comic books and the whole nine yards. It's uh, it's really great. And of course, I brought a lot of my friends aboard to act in the project. So you know, Doug Jones from Falling Skies and Dean Haglund from X Files and Bill Mummy from who I worked with on Babylon Five and first met when he was on Lost in Space when I was a kid. And Mira Furlan from Babylon 5 and Lost, and Bob Picardo from Star Trek Voyager, and Armin Shimmerman from uh, Deep Space Nine, and Ethan Phillips from Star Trek Voyager. I mean, just it's it's basically it's like a, a dream come true, and uh, it's so much fun working with these incredibly talented actors. And uh, and uh, we you know we have all in studio, uh, on soundstage and green screen stage, and uh, you know there's there's really nothing uh, to stop us, and we have no one telling us who we can hire or not hire, what we can write or not write. So there's no censorship at all. There's no um, no one looking over our shoulders, you know, saying, well, you can't do that because it doesn't fit with our corporate um, objectives. <laughs> so which, so there's, a, there's a really great feeling of freedom. And uh, and, at this, and certainly at this stage in my career, it's very nice to not uh, to not have to worry about that stuff. That sounds that that sounds so liberating. But I'd almost imagine that uh, instead of, you know, just a couple of corporate suits, over your shoulder now don't you kind of feel like you have thousands and thousands of uh you know nickel and dime kind of producers behind you no not really because you know three thousand people out you know uh donated to the kickstarter campaign to give us the two hundred and twenty one thousand dollars that got us going and i view them as um my my collaborators my my friends and and audience and and fortunately throughout my entire career my tastes have been very much uh, akin to the audience, the science fiction audience. So I, I grew up with Star Trek and Twilight Zone and Outer Limits. And, and, and then when I was 22, I, I started writing the Twilight Zone Companion uh, to learn how to write and produce television. So I was literally crawl, crawling through Rod Stormy's attic when I was, you know, a kid in my early 20s. And uh, so that's how I learned my craft. And ever since then, if a story interests me, uh, I generally find that, that my audience is, is entertained and, and interested as well. So, so um so I don't view them as adversarial at all. Um, and quite frankly, you know, even with the studio and network executives, I've been very lucky in my career. Usually they were very intelligent. They were very creative. I didn't have a lot of, of um, heartache from the studios and the networks. I, I just recognize um, that they have different objectives. And, and particularly with Space Command, uh, I really wanted to tell a hopeful vision of the future. It wasn't, you know, sugar-coated or rose-colored, but it was definitely uh, hopeful where, you know, like the original Star Trek, you know, a lot of people became scientists, a lot of people went into charitable work and so forth because Star Trek said you can create a better future, you can create a better world. And and as much as I like shows like Battlestar Galactica, and, and I certainly enjoyed Oblivion and Elysium and all of these other, you know, other science fiction um, you know, adventures, they're very dark. And, uh, you know, I mean, with Battlestar Galactica, as much as I liked it, you know, I always felt, well, can't someone just have a birthday party or something? I mean, <laughs> you know, everything was so, so it was all grim, it was all grim. And, uh, so, so I knew that the, you know, the studios were looking for very dark kind of stories, networks as well, and that wasn't the, the, the road I wanted to go down because um, in my own life and the life of people I know, you know, compassion and and um, and kindness and 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 uh, and love are very positive powers in the world. They they do have a they they they're, they're a counterweight against all the evil and darkness and chaos. And uh, and I think if you just tell a story in which chaos. And, and hopelessness win, I don't think you're really being fruitful to the world that we're living in. So um, so I wanted to tell a very different kind of story. Well, I like it. And I get and uh, just on the limited amount that's up already on the Internet, 
uh, get a real like a throwback vibe to uh, to like Star Trek the originals. Um, well, also also the further franchise, which always had that hopeful beat. I think that you're that yeah. you were talking about. And uh yeah. and I even see it in the tagline about about it being bold adventures. And I just that, yeah. that that grabs me. I like that. Thanks. Well yeah. And uh you know, and that doesn't mean that there's not gonna be danger and, and warfare and villainy. You know, of course. So I mean anytime humanity goes anywhere they bring those 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 ills with them, you know, with us. And uh so I'm not I'm definitely not going to be sugarcoating that. But um but I but I really think that um you know that 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 giving people a, an option in in terms of um a positive future is a is a good thing and and certainly when i look at at space exploration when i look at you know the possibility of us going out to mars and and the outer planets uh you know when whenever i hear about a, a possible manned mission you know even what 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 the spacex guys are talking about i'm thrilled and uh so uh so i kind of wanted to to go down that road myself oh i I uh I I applaud your vision and I really applaud your uh, your business model. I I'm rooting yeah. for this to work out for you. I love the idea of these uh new Kickstarter movies. Uh in fact just just the other day I was talking to uh Dean Haglin, who you mentioned, also from the yeah. cast, who just started yeah. production on his own, at least partially crowdfunded uh movie as well. And he talked about you know, I think he referred to it as being like running three marathons between the pre-production, production, <laughs> and then you get your post-production. So, yeah. uh, are you allowed to go back into Kickstarter with various phases of the production? You can, but but you know you have to be careful of that because you want you want to basically prove that you're following through on the promise you made. And so, for instance, uh, since we're we haven't started shooting yet, we're shooting in the next few months. You know, now wouldn't be the time to go back. You know, down the road. In post-production, perhaps once we've shot and we can show some scenes and some special effects footage and all of that, you want you don't want to um, risk alienating, you know, your backers or your audience. You want to keep faith with them, and uh, and I'm very aware of that. And uh, you know, and and but also, you know, I, I've, I've reached out to a lot of, um, I mean, for instance, our effects team, our visual effects supervisor is Jeff Mark, and he comes off Battlestar Galactica and Serenity. I mean, Ian McKay, who's our character designer, designed Darth Maul and Queen Amidala, and now he's working with JJ on the new Star Wars film. So. Basically, I've reached out to the most talented people I know to work with on this project because my goal is to do something, you know, at the top of my game, to do something as, as, of a quality the same as if I were working for a network or a studio. So, um, so, I have to start, so I'm very aware, when you said the marathon, it is, and, and I'm very aware that I have to really deliver on the promises that I've made. And uh, so, so at some point we may go back to Kickstarter, but not yet. Now, now we're involved in the specifics of, um, budgeting, building our sets, and building our our infrastructure, and then shooting. And and our our goal is to shoot the first three films back to back, and then and then do the next three. I've I've written the first four screenplays, and I've outlined films five and six. And uh, so you know we're right on track right now. And um, you know and then cause, because basically, Space Command, although it's designed as a series of features, it's really essentially a TV series. Uh, the first six hours, which is six features, could act, or the 12 hours of the, of the first six features could be 12 episodes of a season. And so how it rolls out in terms of whether it's, you know, two-hour episodes or, or one-hour episodes uh, will depend mainly on the, on the platform that, that shows it, you know. And uh, so those are conversations we'll have down the road. But we, don't, we certainly don't need to, uh, to walk this into studios at this stage. And uh, so the plan is to shoot it first and then figure out what the best distribution model is. 
One of the things that's great about this project is that there's this amazing serendipity. For instance, during our Kickstarter campaign, you know, I, I titled the, the film, uh, the, the, the series Space Command, but I was unaware that there was a real Space Command, that the space-going arm of the United States Air Force is actually called Space Command. So, I, so during the Kickstarter campaign, I got a call from the Space Command, the real one. And I thought, oh, you know, they're going to ask me to change the name. But no, not at all. They said, we love what you're doing. We want to be part of this. Well, that's very cool. And so, um, you know, so the Defense Department, we filled out some paperwork, and the Defense Department okayed it. And when we went to Comic-Con and had a big panel at Comic-Con a few weeks ago, there was a, an officer from the Air Force, uh, uh, Master Sergeant Stagmeyer, Stegner, was on the, uh, on the panel with us, and he, he was in his uniform with his medals, and when he got out of the car at Comic-Con, everyone was going, you know, great costume, man, and he was going, you know, this is a uniform. <laughs> so, you know, but, but it's great because they don't have story approval, but they very much approve of what we're doing, and so they're providing uh, resources and advice, and I'm, I'm going to Vandenberg, uh, uh, you know, in a week to get a tour, and then I'm going there for a launch a week later. So, uh, so this is great experience, and, and, and uh, it really helps make the, make the film even better. So, um, you know, it's so I'm I'm very open to what the world brings me on this project. So far, it's all been good. Oh, it sounds great. You're already you already get to go to a base and watch a launch. So if nothing else, yes, the kid in me <laughs> says you won. You can cash in and go home right there. Yes. But the yes. rest of us actually are looking yeah. forward to this. I mean, and I can't believe that you know for a quarter of a million dollars you're going to make six hours of uh, of this entertainment. Well, it allows us. It allows us to. To basically, we're, we're building it like like uh, when when I I'm, I'm the only writer who wrote for deep, both Deep Space Nine and Babylon Five, and I studied the production model models of those shows. And with with Babylon Five, what was done was we we they rented a um a warehouse in the in the San Fernando Valley, converted it to a soundstage. They had the offices there, they had the sets there. They basically never left the building. All the all the exteriors were um, computer generated. And so the model that we're embracing, we, we actually just finished producing two features back to back. Uh, my producing partner, Neil Johnson, did a film called Starship and then the sequel, Starship Rising, and my wife and I are producers on those films. And it was basically a test run for, for what we're doing with Space Command in terms of just logistics. And so we had our warehouse and our soundstage and the whole nine yards, and then we put everything into storage, and now we're going to be renting a warehouse twice as large and, uh, you know, and, and start building our sets. This is going to happen within the next few weeks. And uh, so, so the money really gave us that, that, that start. And then, uh, and then I think people will step up to invest more as we go. And, and, and fortunately, you know, I wouldn't have already taken this, you know, 10 years ago because, or, or 15 years ago because you would have had to shoot on 35 millimeter, uh, you would have needed to edit on a moviola, you would have, and you would have needed a studio or a network to reach millions of people. Uh, now you don't need any of that. You can shoot digitally, you can edit on a laptop, you know, and, uh, and with the internet and downloadable content and all of that, you don't need a studio or a network to reach the world. And uh, so that's what really gave me the uh, the incentive to do this in this in this way. Oh, it sounds again exciting, and I really I am praying that this works out and that it lands on some platform. Uh, and within the next couple of years, who knows what the what the best platforms are going to be anyway? Yes, yeah. Well, you know, it's funny because even even before we shot we shot the first frame, uh, I don't even know if you can use that that phrase anymore. But even even before we started shooting on Space Command, a lot of a lot of distributors have, have approached us, and we have turned them down at this stage because we don't need them at this stage. And uh, we basically what our plan is is to, is to shoot shoot Space Command and then see who we want to partner with. And uh, and it's great, again, to be in that position. So definitely, 
definitely it's going to be downloadable. Definitely it's going to be Blu-ray and DVD. But in terms of if we also have a studio or a network or a web platform like Yahoo or Netflix or Hulu or, or you know, someone like that, that remains to be seen. But in a way, it's almost like we're kids in the candy store because, uh, um, you know, we're, we pretty much have, so far, you know, we've had our choice of whatever we want. And that's a, that's a wonderful position to be in. And, uh, you know, but mainly at the end of the day, uh, I'm writing this for myself and, and for my audience. And that's also why I'm directing and producing. And my wife, Elaine, who is also a writer, producer, and director, uh, she's directing and producing with me as well. We've worked together for many years. And, uh, and that's just great. And so, um, you know, I, I just can't. Well, it's funny when when we were getting ready for Comic Con, we actually got some of our actors on on the, the green screen stage. We put them in costume and and makeup, and we shot scenes uh, with them, I, and also on some of our sets, uh, you know, same lines. And it was very fun to go to Comic Con and show some of this footage, including special effects footage of the ship and and so forth. And uh, the response was great. It, it's very funny. We took questions, and the first question was, can you show that reel again? And so we, we, we showed it twice at, at, the, at the panel. So I think that was a good sign. And uh, But it's just, I mean, my God, the people I'm getting to work with, it's, it's a dream come true. I mentioned earlier I, we got to talk to uh, Dean Haglund recently and yeah. also to Doug Jones about the same time. And guy. both of them were gushing about this production. They couldn't couldn't give us any other specifics, uh, but I cannot wait to see it. Well, I'll be <laughs> honest, I think Netflix would do for me. If it's going to be six movies, yeah. I'm a back-to-back <laughs> kind of guy. Yeah, I know, me too. And, uh, but, you know, it's very fun because with Doug and with Dean, Dean Hagman, the, the way I got them involved, it's been so organic. I was, I was nominated for the Saturn Award a couple of years ago. I actually won it. And I was at the event, and I saw this, this very tall, thin man wearing this amazing jacket. It's sort of this, this, this steampunk Victorian-style jacket. I went up to compliment him, and it was, it was Doug Jones. And I mentioned that I was writing a book mm-hmm. with Guillermo del Toro. And, uh, and uh, Doug, of course, played Pan, Pan's Labyrinth, and Abe Sapien, and Hellboy. And we started talking, and we became friends. And, uh, just, and uh, I wrote a role specifically for him. He plays a character named Dor Nevin, who's what we call a synthetic, basically a replicant, an android. And he has a, an amazing role in these, in these six films. And, uh, and then with Dean Hagland, Dean had a podcast, and he interviewed me. And I thought, well, he's quite wonderful. And I asked him if he'd like to have a, a, an acting role in Space Command. And he said, sure. And so I called him and I said, well, what kind of role would you like? What haven't you played that you'd like to play? And he told me. And I thought, okay, I, I know what I can do with him. And uh, so it's just it's so wonderful to just meet these incredibly talented men and women, too. Mira Furlan, who played, uh, you know, who starred in Babylon 5 as Delenn, uh, the way I got her uh, for Space Command was uh, I met a young actress named Yelena Mirja. Mirja. I have to get the pronunciation right. She's, a young, she's in her early 20s, and she speaks Serbo-Croatia. Croatian, and I remembered when I wrote for Babylon 5 that Mira spoke that, and I thought, well, they can play mother and daughter, and when they're in space in their ship, they speak Serbo-Croatian to each other, but when they talk to everyone else, they're speaking English. And so I contacted Mira, and we had lunch, and I told her what I had in mind, and she said, I'm, I'm in, I'm aboard. And uh, that was, again, just terrific. And most recently, she was on Lost. She played the character Danielle, who's sort of the crazy mm-hmm. French lady in the jungle, and uh, she's just a phenomenal actress. And uh, so it was... Uh, it was really great, and I think people are going to love the role that she plays in Space Command. Very unusual role, very um, different from what she's played before. So it's going to be, and I'm just, I can't wait to start shooting. Well, uh, here's hoping that, that 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 starts very soon. Uh, I know yeah. you finally got all the casting. You've got enough money to go now. I know you've got yep. more than enough of this uh, uh, huge story arc, it sounds like, which I, as a fan, really appreciate. I like when... Yeah. 
I, I have confidence in the creator going in that we're going to see a full story, not a great beginning yeah. and then questions. Yeah, well, you know, that's the problem I've with a lot of TV shows where they'll start and they really haven't thought it through and so it peters out. It might have a great initial notion, but then they can't sustain it. But, but you know, when I am... Um, when I worked on Babylon 5 and a lot of the shows I worked on, you know, we'd lay it out. I mean, Joe Straczynski certainly knew where he was going for the five seasons of Babylon 5. And uh, so definitely with Space Command, I've, you know, that's why I've spent a number, the better part of a year actually writing, you know, the first, you know, six storylines in the, in the first four screenplays. So I knew who the characters were and where they were going. And uh, because, again, you don't want to have a good promise but not be able to pay it off. And so, uh, so I really, you know, took the time to, to learn what I was doing. And uh, I think mm-hmm. that'll, that'll definitely show, when, once we start shooting, I think it'll be very clear that we know what we're up to. Well, as a sci-fi fan, I thank you for that then, that kind of depth and, you know, knowing that there's going to be fully fleshed out ideas. And you say, like over 150 years, that yeah. should probably satisfy me. Well, uh, and I won't push you any more about that. Again, I know I've probably <laughs> taken up a lot of your time. Um, no, it's You fine. mentioned your wife, Elaine, earlier, though, and I know you guys yeah. operate the uh, Super Mentors program together. Yes, we do. Well, you know, we, I, I feel a strong obligation to give back because so many people were so kind to me at the beginning of my career. Um, you know, Theodore Sturgeon and Richard Matheson and George Clayton Johnson and Highland Ellisfield, all these great writers from Star Trek and Twilight Zone and Outer Limits, you know, who I grew up watching. And... So I started by running a roundtable of writers and directors and actors and producers. Elaine and I run it, and uh, and it grew to thousands of members. It's still going strong. But some of the some of these, those people wanted us to mentor them more hands-on, and so we started a class where it's ten students for six weeks, and we also teach it long distance. And we just kind of say, okay, what are your goals? What do you want to accomplish? And then we just give them actions to take. And it's amazing things have happened. So it's really gratifying to see people really uh, take that on. Because I, I, in my career and in the careers of many of my friends, I've seen that the people who succeed are the people who are just really, who persevere, who are really determined to get somewhere. And uh, I, don't, I don't use the word talent very often because I don't think it's mainly about talent. I think it's mainly about determination, you know, and, and craft. And uh, so I'm really happy to, to have helped so many people, and, and that's still going strong. So I, I, I feel a very strong sense of, um, of calling in that, in that area. And uh, so I was very lucky because I... I knew I wanted to be a writer from when I was a kid, and uh, and then I followed in the footsteps of, of great people. Ray Bradbury was also one of my mentors. Uh, we mm-hmm. lost him last year, but but he was a dear friend, and uh, you know, and um, you know, so so I try and pass it on. I, I, I and I'm, I'm glad that I can, uh, because because I think a lot of people can get very lost in Hollywood, and they can feel it's a very cold and um, and hard place. And I think there's two Hollywoods. I think there's sort of the materialistic, awful Hollywood. And then there's a Hollywood of very decent, good people who, have, who, are, who are creating, you know, work of merit and who have good hearts and who are family people and decent, decent straight shooters. And, uh, and, and I think you're going to be part of either Hollywood, but you have to choose to which, which Hollywood you're going to be part of. And uh, so I help kind of guide people down the path that I think is the most rewarding. And, uh, and so that's been just quite wonderful to, uh, to do. And, uh, and then it also allows me to meet such wonderful people and work with such wonderful people. And, uh, I mean, you know, when you mentioned Doug Jones and Dean Haglund, I mean, these are, these are dear people. And, and, and Bill Mummy, um, you know, who I first saw in Lost in Space, I mean, these are, these are really solid, good human beings, you know, and, uh, they're not just fun to work with, they're just fun to be with. And, um, you know, I, I, you know, so, so I don't, I, you know, one, one thing about the way I sort of organize my career and my life, I'm not, arrogant about this. I, I come to it with, with a great sense of humility and gratitude. 
And so I don't, I don't, you know, so, so I'm not hierarchical in that way. If I meet someone who's just starting out, I don't, I don't treat them as less than, for instance, myself. You know, I'm still growing, I'm still learning, and, and I'm, I'm going to treat everyone equally, and there's no pecking order. In the roundtable that I run, in the classes that I teach, in the, in the set, you know, I mean, I treat everyone the same with respect, and, uh, and it just makes for a better world and a, and a better life. Thank you for letting us all know, first of all, about the Super Mentors program. And I don't know if this offer goes out to everybody, but Mark did issue me a personal invitation to the uh, roundtable. <laughs> well, it's, it's basically as people contact me and, you know, often I, I, I let people come to the table. I mean, it's very much a community that we've created. And for the Super Mentors classes, people can go on to supermentors.com and look that up. And for Space Command, it's spacecommandmovie.com and Space Command Movie on Facebook. And so we're, we're, I can be reached in pretty, pretty much anywhere. And uh, and I'm happy to hear from people. I always uh, really enjoy it. And I just want a couple more minutes just as a fan now to ask you a couple sure. questions. Because I wasn't You've kidding about to. the, uh, you know, back in the 80s, some of uh, some of those simple morality lesson cartoons that I think yeah. probably have done a good job of uh, keeping me from killing anyone or living in <laughs> uh, jail or anything. Stuff like the Smurfs uh-huh. up to yeah. Super Friends. Everybody's a Super Friends fan. Uh, yeah. And you did on top, and also the uh, the He-Man serial cartoon, yeah. which I think in the end I like the cartoon more than the toys, and I had a lot of the toys. Sure. Oh wow, that's fun. Well, you know, I, I was in my early twenties when I started writing for animation. I um, as soon as I got out of college, I knew I wanted to be a writer producer working in TV. So I started writing the Twilight Zone Companion when I was twenty two, and by the time I was twenty two or twenty three, my friend Michael Reeves, who was an animation writer. I brought, brought me into animation, so I started writing. Um, the first thing I wrote was a show called, uh, um, uh, I guess it was Space Stars Finale, which uh, starred Space Ghost. And then uh, then I wrote Smurfs and Little Bones and Little Ghostbusters and all those other shows that you mentioned. And uh, so I was sort of the god of animation for the first, you know, five or six years of my career. And then I jumped over to live action with Next Gen and DS9 and all those shows. But, uh, but I learned my craft in animation, and it was very funny because people used to ask... Uh, um, are you writing with the children in mind? And I said, I'd always say, no, I'm writing for the child in myself. So I would write to <laughs> entertain myself. You know, I'd write, I'd write to entertain myself, and then it would entertain the audience. And But I was never writing down to the audience. I was always writing, uh, you know, the best I possibly could. And the funny thing was that often on those shows, they haven't made them yet. So, for instance, when we were hired to write for Smurfs, they hadn't shot any of it yet. So the creators of, of the Smurfs, they were actually called the Schtroomps in, uh, in Europe, uh, Pale and Delaport, flew in to Hanna-Barbera, and, and all of the writers sat and met with them and asked a whole bunch of questions about the Smurfs. And the same with He-Man. With He-Man, uh, it hadn't been animated yet. So we, you know, read materials on He-Man. They hadn't made the toys yet, I don't believe. And uh, so we just sort of, you know, started from a cold engine. And uh, But that was still, that was exciting. Uh, you know, with Real Ghostbusters, the movie had been made. And so we just basically said to ourselves, well, we're just going to be writing sequels to the movie. Again, we weren't uh, writing down to any, but we were writing, you know, things that were just really fun and, and just exciting for us to be working on. So, uh, so I had a great time writing in animation. And, uh, you know, I've written for a lot of shows that I've really, really enjoyed writing for. And, and I'm very gratified that, they, that the shows I wrote for you know, meant something to the to the people who watched them, whether they were children or adults. And uh, and it's great, you know, 20, 30 years later to still have people come up to me, you know, on a daily basis, um, you know, uh, uh, commenting on on the shows I worked on. And that's uh, that's really a great a great honor. Well, consider me one of them because yeah, I <laughs> I, I love the way I, it looks like you're you're. 
career sort of matured along with with a lot of us in this uh, generation. Because I think yeah. by the time I was done with cartoons, I remember being, you know, a, more or less a, a young adult and watching Star Trek The Next Generation with my mom on a regular basis. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. And I then was, it I just really got a little darker yeah. and... <laughs> And now I guess we're all ready for the uh, for for the super grown up idea of uh, space command, and I love it yeah, that it's going to well, harken back. Yeah, well, I think I think as people grow up and have families and really sort of see what the life's about, they they come to understand how important it is to reach out to others and and create something uh, loving and compassionate. And I think uh, space command. I think I think a lot of people in, in their teens and early twenties tend to be a little bit darker and more cynical and a little more nihilistic. But as they actually build lives, they start to come around to a more um, a more charitable view of, of, of the world. And uh, and so I'm glad that I'm now creating something that I think, uh, I feel sure actually, the audience will embrace and really value. So I'm, I'm very lucky that, you know, I, but I learned from, you know, from Twilight Zone, and those are certainly morality plays, and, and Star Trek, you know, the original show. I mean, uh, you know, I, I learned I learned on the, you know, from, from some of the great writers, and they were writing very moral stories. And uh, so I'm just continuing in the tradition that I, that nurtured me. You know, and uh, so I'm, I'm, I feel very lucky to be to be you know writing Space Command and directing it and producing it. It's going to be the next year is going to be filled with really great experiences. I can't wait to finish uh, finish the first few films and share them share them with the world. And that's that's what the world is looking forward to. I'm glad. I'm very glad. All right. Well, uh, you, since since we're just going to go into the Twilight Zone, I. Uh, <laughs> I'm I'm going to ask right now, and I've heard this story, I think, a couple of times through the Hollywood blogosphere, but uh, <laughs> legend has it that you wrote a spec script for Mad Men, which has, has right. yet to be produced, with Rod That's Serling right. in it. That's right. Well, you know, every few years, those of us who write for television have to write new sample scripts, and... Uh, and usually, you know, it, it's, a, it's a good idea to write a sample for a show that you're not necessarily even a writer on, but that it's, it's, a, it's a show that the, the executives at the studios and the networks watch and know. And, uh, and, I, and I was watching Mad Men, and I really liked that show. And, and again, because it took place in the early 60s, I knew a ton about that period because I'd, writ- I'd written The Twilight Zone Companion. I'd, I'd researched, you know, very deep, deep, deep in the late 50s and early 60s. I, that book was five years of, of research and, and writing. Uh, the Twilight Zone Companion. And so I had this interesting idea of, well, what if when Twilight Zone ended, you know, the, 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 the Mad Men characters tried to get Rod Serling to be a spokesperson for the, the companies they represented for their commercials, because Rod, of course, became one of the great commercial spokesperson, spokes, spokesmen of all time. And, uh, and I thought it was a natural, um, you know, very natural tonally, because when Twilight Zone ended, Rod tried to get the show set up at ABC under a different name, uh, and it didn't succeed, and, and it, it was a very uh, dark period for him, a very depressing time. And, uh, and it seemed, so Don Draper and Rod Serling seemed like a match made in heaven. So I wrote the script, and if, if anyone wants to read it, it's on my website, markvickery.com, and you can just go onto, onto that website and pull down the script and read it. And, uh, and uh, I was very pleased with how it turned out. It was, uh, it was really very, very fun. And, of course, I have access... To, uh, to recordings that Serling made when he taught, taught a class in writing here in L.A. In the, in the early 70s, and these were not broadcast. They were totally candid, and so it was like being a fly on the wall for how Rod Serling really talked 
he wasn't on camera. And so he was actually, a lot, his vocabulary was a lot saltier than, than what you'd hear on Twilight Zone. And uh, he was very earthy and, and just a great guy and uh, very self-deprecating. And, uh, and so, I, so the, the Rod that I wrote in, in Mad Men, I think, was a very accurate representation of, of what, what Rod was like. And, uh, and it was, I, I'm just very pleased that I got the opportunity to write that. And, uh, you know, and, I, and I know Matt Weiner, who's the creator of Mad Men, and so he and I have conversations about, about this script. And uh, so, um, you know, I, I, I was, you know, glad that he didn't mind me sort of, you know, trespassing on his turf a little bit. But, uh, but yeah, for anyone who wants to read it, can certainly read it and, and enjoy it. Oh, it's, it's a great script. And I, I think, uh, and, and you paint him as, as a very madman character, too. And yes, you, yes. You're probably very right, the kind of that tragic, successful angle. And, yeah, and, if, and you, let's, just, let's just pretend we've got a little fantasy going here where Matt calls you up and he says, we're going to make the show. Who do you think should play Rod Serling out of today's that, crop? That's a really interesting question. You know, I thought about it, and um, someone I think who could be really good playing Serling, oddly enough, would be Sam Rockwell, interestingly enough. Mm. He's... he's because you know uh, Rod was actually short; he was only about five five, you know, five foot five, uh, and uh, so he, so you know, he was actually diminutive, and most people don't realize that because of the camera, you know. And uh, but I think I think he he has the intensity to play it. I, I think there's a number of actors who can play Rod very very well. And uh, the trick, of course, is to not fall into just doing an imitation, but actually, you know, embracing the, the person. And uh, and Sam Rockwell certainly a terrific actor. I think you could be right there, and it, it, he had a kind of quiet intensity during all those intros. Yeah. And yeah. clearly, yeah. I mean, the creative aspects that went into that show, I mean, so many of those plot lines are being repeated and rehashed over and over. They become, you know, yeah. tropes in uh, in entertainment culture now. Yes, yes. And uh, well, the, the interesting thing is that Rod, Rod died at 50, and he didn't really know that Twilight Zone was going to live on, that it was going to become this, this huge classic that it became. So at the end of his life, he felt that he really hadn't succeeded, that his work was, was, was going to be largely forgotten. So that's, that's the one sad thing about Rod's, uh, Rod's mm-hmm. life. But, but, but at least Rod was very, very su- successful. He, he earned six Emmys, you know, an, an amazing run. And, uh, and thank God he worked in a medium that was preserved so we can enjoy Twilight Zone now with as much uh, fidelity. Uh, even more so than when, than when those episodes were originally aired. I mean, it's phenomenal that when they were aired initially, they were on and then they were gone. You couldn't own them. You couldn't watch them whenever you wanted. I mean, I think we're very, uh, you know, it's a great gift to have them where we can watch them anytime we want to. And, and uh, I, it's funny, for the Blu-ray, I produced the Blu-ray set, and I recorded 52 commentaries. Uh, so if you ever want to hear me talk for 30 hours straight, you can just, uh, you know, put that set on, on the TV. But, uh, but it was amazing to revisit that material after all these years and just see just how phenomenal that show still is. It's, it's an amazing show. Well, well, you are you're really talking up your uh, your Twilight Zone chops here. So I think I'm going <laughs> to put you on the spot. And now, since you literally wrote the book on this, I uh, I'm going to throw you three episode titles, and I want you to uh, to just real quickly give me a recap, or somehow let me know that you know exactly sure. what episode I'm talking about. Sure. Yeah. All right, and we're not we're not going with the easy ones, not Nightmare Twenty Thousand Feet or Eye of the Beholder. <laughs> uh huh. All right, first one is, and this is just a fun title, no matter what the episode's about, the Brain Center at Whipples. Yes, that's uh, that's a that's a fun episode about auto- automation, and it stars Richard Deacon, who who was on the uh, Dick Van Dyke show, 
and it's about uh, a worker who's replaced by a robot. And it's actually one of the two Twilight Zone episodes that has Robbie the robot from Forbidden Planet because uh, Twilight Zone was shot at MGM, so Rod had access to every prop, every costume, every set, every everything made for any MGM movie ever made. And so, uh, so pretty much everything that was built for Forbidden Planet turned up in Twilight Zone one way or another. And uh, but it's really fun to see Robbie the Robot used in that episode. It's it's it's, uh, it, it's a fun episode, very fun. Well, it sounds scary too, but all right, uh, you know yeah. you've convinced yeah. me. I'll give you that point. You've got brain center. <laughs> all right, now okay. here, here's here's number two, Caesar and me. Yeah, that's an episode uh, starring uh, Jackie Cooper who was a child star at MGM, interestingly enough, in the 30s. And, uh, and then he went on to play Perry White in the uh, in Richard Donner's Superman movies with Christopher Reeve. And that episode, it's, it's one of the two episodes that Twilight Zone did about ventriloquists. And uh, it's basically about a ventriloquist who's led into a life of crime by, uh, by Little Caesar, his dummy. And uh, that was actually written by uh, the producer, William Flug's secretary. And it was, one, it was the, uh, the only episode of Twilight Zone written by a woman. So it's uh, it's remarkable in that way. Oh, all right. Well, you know what? I'm going to give you that one too. Though I would also have accepted creepy ventriloquist episode. That that would have been yes. enough for me. All right. Now now I'm going to throw you one more, and I know you're you're batting a thousand so far, but with a name like this, I don't think you 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 would have to know exactly what it is. There's no way you can bluff your way through it. Here we go. Sure. The seventh is made up of phantoms. Yeah, that's another Rod Serling script. It's uh, basically about a tank, a modern tank crew, uh, military tank crew on maneuvers who are at the Little Bighorn, and they find themselves back in time uh, pursuing the uh, the journey of Custer in, uh, in you know having, leading up to Custer's massacre. And uh, it's, uh, it stars Warren Oates, who of course is known from a lot of TV shows and movies. And uh, it was a fifth season, fifth season episode. And uh, and again, you can see that Serling had these amazing ideas. Where you know who would think to put a, a modern tank traveling through time to the, to the little bighorn? But, but Rod certainly thought that way. So it's it's a very fun episode, a very entertaining one. All right. Well, I'm gonna against my better judgment, I'll give you that point too. It sounds like you know what you're talking about. <laughs> uh, no, I actually haven't seen that one, so it's hard to say. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Well, you, I've taken up enough of your time. I want to thank you again for your patience and your uh, your involvement. Uh, everybody, please keep your eye out for Mark Zakree. He is going to bring you and I and all of us Space Command in the future, and you will thank me for for bringing it to your attention. I, I can almost guarantee it. If you want to know more, you can actually find the original Kickstarter uh, video pitch on YouTube under the Space Command preview. It's great overview. It will give you an idea of what you're in for. There's even some really good mock-up effects already on there, and that's a couple years old, I think, right? Yeah, about a year old. Yeah, but we're uh, still we're generating even new stuff. If you go on the Space Command uh, website, you can see the reel that we showed at Comic Con just a couple of weeks ago, and it's got footage of our actors, new, new special effects stuff. It's it's a lot of fun. So get on there, people. Buy a poster. Buy a lunchbox. Your money is going <laughs> to a good cause on this one. Uh, I I'm going to let you go on this, but I just want to say on a personal note, thank you for the show, Dark Star. Oh, and everyone yeah. listening, yeah. those little toys with the little lighter inside of their chest and the glow-in-the-dark weapons, <laughs> that's what they are. I know you're going to forget right after you hear this, but thank you for Dark Star, sir. Thank you for you're all your welcome. contributions to sci-fi, and I am looking forward to Space Command. Well, thanks very much. I've really enjoyed talking with you. 
And that was Mark Scott Secree, uh, obviously very passionate about his project, and it it's it's catching. I'm excited. Well, this was a huge deal over at uh, Comic Con. Uh, I mean, they had a lot of press and a lot of interest and just a lot of buzz. Uh, but yes, we're we're all looking forward to it. I guess we are geeking over it right now. You know, there's a there's good precedent. There's good precedent. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and if it's gotten buzz at Comic Con, it can't be all bad. You know, speaking of Comic Con, Marky, I know you were there. I was there. You were there this past summer, and I know you were uh, uh, in a uh, in a panel moderated by a certain former X Files performer. He's actually a lone gunman, um, and he is also in Space Command. We interviewed him shortly after Comic Con. We decided that this interview was so nice that we want to air it twice. We're gonna. Put this interview out there again. Um, this is Mr. Dean Hagland. Dean Hagland, you're kidding. We've got an interview we, with him. We, well, yeah, and you were actually a part of it. And we got to talk to him. He's the tall, blonde-haired, uh, lone gunman. Um, he's just a, a incredibly talented guy, and he, you know, he was the moderator at the X Files uh, comic book panel. Uh, Julian Anderson was there, and. Um, it was just a pleasure to be able to uh, uh, speak with this guy. He does he does a lot of work in the sci-fi world. I know he's very well respected in that uh, in that well, world. So let's see if we can get him a little respect in the uh, Saturday morning serial happy hour world. Uh, let's throw him back out again. This was an interview you and I both did earlier this summer. Yeah, I, don't I believe so. Oh, good. I, I have fond memories already, and in about twenty minutes, so will you. All right, welcome back. Uh, we are in for a special treat here on Maddie P Radio Happy Hour. We are going to be talking with Dean Hagland, direct from the set of his new film, The Lady Killers. And without further ado, let's bring him out here. Dean, are hey, you there? Everybody. I am. Hey, How Dean. are you? Well, uh, you're on the line with me, Grim Shay. Uh, joining us, of course, is my co-producer, Mark E. Say hi, Mark. I cannot believe that we are talking to a lone gunman right now. Oh. This is ridiculous. But oh. go on. Yes, I am Mark e. I am so excited that you're here. Mark e is I'm not the gonna, X-Files guy. And I'm not going to just bombard this interview with X-Files questions. And hey, go though, right ahead. Lay it no, on. it's fine. No, we're going to – I'm the, sure we'll get to some of it. No, no I'm I'm pulling the reins in on them already. <laughs> go ahead. <laughs> Continue, but, but now, listen, what I want to talk to you about first, and we can talk about okay. it as long as you want, is I know you have just started filming this new movie, The Lady Killers. Yeah. And I want you to tell us all about it because it is hard to find info on it. Well, yes, we, we have a Facebook uh, uh, page, and uh, The Lady Killers movie is our website. And uh, it is a, uh, a, a romantic thriller. Uh, directed by and written by Phil Larness, who is my also uh, producing partner and uh, co-host of my podcast of seven years, the Chill Pack Hollywood Hour. So we have been uh, talking for some time about uh, doing another movie. We, of course, did a documentary together and um, way back when did a Lifetime movie. Uh, I think it was called Lost Souls, but when we shot it, it was called Spectres uh, with Marina Sirtis and Tucker Smallwood. And now we are, are doing a, um, uh, the Lady Killers. Oh, I, you know, I, I not only like the idea that you guys just took off and said, we're going to do this after you've done some work together. But on top of that, now, as I understand, this is a partially crowdfunded movie. Yeah. And on top of that, it is currently an underfunded <laughs> movie. 
So what oh, I want you to tell us, you're following Mark, our Twitter feed, are you? Uh, uh, faithfully, but I, I want you to tell us so we can pass it on to the listeners. How can, how we, can we help? Anyway, how uh, can excellent. we do it? Yes, we have a donate now button at our website. Uh, I'll just make sure it's uh, still functioning as a website. You know, when you play a computer hacker on TV, a lot of your websites uh, get hacked. They suck. Oh, okay. <laughs> they suck. Well, you know, uh, there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of kids out there who go, "Hey, is that guy really a hacker?" And then you know, they go at it on your website. <laughs> so you, you are you are actually isolated because you you because you were Langley on the Globe Gun. <laughs> well, it's not that I'm isolated. It's that these. Uh, you know, they want to see how mad my skills are on the old uh, wow. internet. So, <laughs> so they'll go it's in make and believe, you guys. It's make believe. He's not a hacker. <laughs> well, you know, yeah, exactly. And you know, back in '95, I was hand coding my own website. But you know, now I'm not really doing backhoes and uh, uh, <laughs> all sorts of other nefarious things online. So you know, I get a lot of that action. But yes, the Lady Killers movie. Uh, dot com. There's a donate now button uh, that you can contribute to the movie, or if you want to go uh, further and become an investor, you can email me directly at dean at deanhaglin dot com. Dean, uh, I'm, we are all writing this down. Boy, there's there's <laughs> no way not to give you money. Very smart. Exactly. You'd be you'd be ridiculous not to give me money. That's how. <laughs> this this and and. I like that you're doing it this way. I know Kickstarter gets all the attention nowadays as being the new indie yeah. way to fund anything. But was there a reason you chose not to do Kickstarter? Yeah, well, in fact, we're holding off on our Kickstarter uh, because a movie is really three stages. There's the pre-production, stage we are now in the shooting, and then there's the post-production. And if you want, uh, there's also marketing. You know, a lot of uh, young filmmakers think, wow, I've, you know, run this marathon, my movie's completed, but in fact that is just the beginning of the marathon. Once that movie's completed, getting it out there, getting it in front of the right people, all of that is a whole nother uh, 26.3 miles of running that you have to do. <laughs> and so um, uh, what we've done is we've sort of sectioned off each one of the popular crowdsourcing uh, funding options in section. So our Indiegogo was actually our pre-production thing. So it was our uh, friends and people in the know and all that sort of thing sort of donated enough money that we could get their people together and then go after investors who then sort of set us up and stabilized us to uh, have the ability to make the movie. And, and the money that we wanted wasn't so much that it was the complete making of the movie. It just made it to where we got it all in camera, and then we're going to go back to Kickstarter and make a trailer that looks spectacular, and then use that for the post-production and marketing end of it. So it's kind of three stages, so you're not just leaning on everybody all at once at the top going, oh my God, we're going to do this amazing thing. Like so many Kickstarter things I've donated to that have never come to fruition, mm -hmm. uh, you know, you, you say, oh, I'm going to do this thing, here, give me 10 bucks or whatever. And then you give them 10 bucks, and then, you know, two years later, you go, hey, how's that thing you're doing? <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm still how's working on it. $10 doing? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, yeah, well, uh, you know, I've, uh, I've had a couple setbacks, blah, blah, blah. And, and so, you know, even my Kickstarter, where I had a graphic novel, I'm still in the middle of drawing that thing. And yet, you know, all these other projects take me away from it. So 
Anybody who you donated to my Kickstarter on the graphic novel, that is coming. <laughs> yep, he's just had a couple of setbacks. Yada, 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 a couple yada, of setbacks. <laughs> I.e., I'm doing a movie. Yeah, exactly. Uh, not a bad one. Setback. Yeah, it's just a it's it's a time eater. That's all. So much work can't get anything done. It's a curse. It's a curse. <laughs> it is a curse. Damn them. Damn working. <laughs> Well, and I know you do a lot of your work, as you mentioned, with uh, with your producing partner Phil Learness, and uh, yeah. and I have listened to the uh, Chill Pack Hollywood Hour, a fan Thank of the you, podcast. Uh, how did you guys first hook up? I mean, when when did uh, when did you decide that's it? Let's let's be more than business acquaintances. Let's be producing partners. Yeah, that's a weird question because you know we don't actually know the answer to that. We, and <laughs> when you move to LA, you sort of just run into the same people at the same parties and the movie theaters and the things. So we don't actually remember. Oh, hey, that was the day we met. But he was um, president of a uh, foreign distribution film company that was distributing, uh, uh, you know, our rare French new wave films and stuff like that. And I had rented the office beside it to, for my production company. And when we come to work every Monday, we would often have an hour-long chat about movies we've seen, events we went to, that sort of thing. And my assistant, who was sitting there on the computer, said, you know, your conversation is very fascinating. You should make that like a podcast. And I went, oh, okay. And then from there, the podcast became this weekly thing where we said, oh, why don't, you know, and it became our production meetings. Basically, we call them on-air production meetings where we talk about future projects and plans. And then uh, we, uh, we, it actually became the, the impetus to start doing actual real films and stuff like that. So, so it was a real organic, gradual, uh, no-focus plan where we go, okay, here's the plan. We're going to do this and this and this. It was just sort of uh, came together uh, sort of really kind of slowly because our podcast has been going for seven years now. And uh, we never missed a show other than last week, we posted Tuesday instead of Monday. That's so. Ah, that's nothing. That's, that's, nothing. that's nothing. That yeah. It broke that's my nothing. heart, but I've I've moved on. <laughs> we sent an apology on Facebook, and uh, <laughs> you know, we gave everybody a heads up that that was going to happen. No, I was out of the country anyway. You got lucky oh. that time. <laughs> Fantastic. <laughs> now, uh, also, what I understand about uh, this movie, The Lady Killers, despite its name. It's actually a very strong female ensemble piece, which is, uh, to put it mildly, a rarity in Hollywood. It is a rarity. Uh, you know, we often talk on our show about the Bechanel test, uh, which is, uh, or Bechanel? I'm not sure how it's pronounced, actually. But it is a, uh, uh, a graph that determines uh, uh, how many movies that are currently out there have a female lead that has more than 10 lines in the movie, that uh, uh, the conversation is not about the other guy in the movie, and that uh, moves the plot forward. And this test determines uh, basically where, uh, you know, women's role in movies are at, and it has become apparently the lowest ever in the history of filmmaking at the moment. Oh, this uh, sounds like a depressing test. I know. Can we just stop doing the test? (laughs) Yes, we can. Yes, yes, you can go to a movie and not do the test. But if you're curious about, uh, you know, 
female roles and 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 uh, the roles. There's so many great talented female actresses out there that uh, you know the audition for smaller and smaller parts uh, at lesser and lesser quantities. And um, so we thought that uh, uh, often we say we should be the change that we want to see. So instead of being angry at the man and fighting, we become the solution that we wish the future to be. So, so we decided to make a movie that had lots of female roles that were positive, that weren't uh, dependent on uh, uh, talking about what the guy was doing and, uh, and move the plot forward. So, oh. so And you got uh, two males to produce it. Well, that's good. One, one step at a time. Well, done. well, you know, you say two males, but there is some very strong female presence in both our uh, our relationships supporting this movie because you know it it takes an army to make any feature film and uh when you see any movie on screen regardless how bad it is you just have to doff your hat to the fact that they got it to screen because it yeah. is uh, a herculean effort to get that rock up that hill oh i believe it i believe it and and in lieu of asking you anything about upcoming X-File movies, which we are all oh. resigned to the fact they won't be coming, we were excited, especially someone else in this room with me, mm-hmm. to be at Comic-Con a couple weeks ago at the IDW panel, which I believe you moderated. Did you get into that panel, sir? I, I did, sir. I did. I, I, used my, I used my power as a member of the press, and they actually... No, you me. did not. I did. They actually... Squeeze, um, you know, poor young girls who only wanted to catch a glimpse of Jillian Anderson. I offered my laptop. Yep. Well, yep. Took up two seats and put his laptop on a third. Uh, yeah, and, and <laughs> <laughs> I am a, I am a, as we said earlier, I am an X Files junkie, and uh, I could talk to you about the cigarette smoking man, about the yes. black oil, Crycheck, of all of it, of all of it. Um, wow. But one of the things that really kind of stood out there was um, when I, well, I missed the TV guide. Um, panel, which was kind of the big one. It was the 20th anniversary. Can you believe it's been 20 years? I can't. Well, I, hey, that that is shocking in and of itself. I mean, uh, it seems like it was just yesterday that I was hanging out with all of them, and uh, <laughs> and that 20 years have passed, and I sort of went, ah, oh, geez, I better get something done around here. So you know, <laughs> you're damn right. You're damn right. <laughs> and, and okay, so I am there. At, I I am there at your panel. I'm excited okay. because I couldn't get into the TV Guide one and. Jillian Anderson is right there, and she looks still just stunning. Incredible. I know, right? Right. Like, it's, she, she's the same age. It's, it's amazing. Yeah, like me. what time machine? What is she eating? Like I, <laughs> I could have asked her questions forever about her health regime and diet yeah. plan because it was like yeah. it was ridiculous how it was. It's basically 1993 looking yeah. at her. Yeah, yeah, and, and, and I didn't understand well, what, it at all. What? What actually kind of uh, stuck was that, you know, when you finally meet somebody or in the same room with somebody who you've kind of been following for, you know, 20 years now, um, and when you, when you finally hear them and see them talk at the same time, and when you kind of realize that, it's that it's, it is that voice coming out of that person, there was something very kind of spiritual that kind of takes over there. You know, there is that kind of moment where it all becomes real, um, and that's what, that's what your panel brought. So I, I really want to thank you for moderating that, for taking on that huge challenge of presenting Jillian Anderson to the masses 
And I also wanted to give credit to, uh, as I want to give credit to you and the role that you took as being a part of the X-Files because I believe that X-Files started this geek is chic culture 20 years ago now, but X-Files started it all. Can you kind of touch on that a little bit? Well, it's fascinating because I actually had a company called Geek Chic, believe it or not. <laughs> I've closed it down sense. now, but it, but uh, yeah, the, it, it was this um, uh, thing that the lone gunman incorporated this um, the power of the nerd sort of mm-hmm. thing that we were, you know, considered weirdos like in season one. But as we progressed through the years, it became that you know we had more and more an integral role. And that it was like cooler to come and hang out with us. And then when we got our own spinoff, that was sort of like, oh, you know, now here's the show. And I think that even that show was kind of ahead of its time. Yeah. I think that if that show came out now, it probably would have uh, lasted more than 13 episodes. Yeah. So, uh, oh, so yeah, uh, yeah, it sort of seemed that you know Chris Carter and all the writers were like, basically, as a surfer does, which Chris Carter. He edited Surfing Magazine for 13 years. <laughs> he surfed every weekend while doing that show. He's he from L.A. On these, yeah, yeah. And, he, and he goes on these exotic uh, surfing holidays where they uh, boat you out to a, uh, a barrier reef where a wave appears in the middle of the ocean with nothing around you, and a wave wow. is uh, three miles long, and you surf by yourself in the middle of a, uh, the Bali Ocean Wow. And then the, a jet ski takes you back to the front. Like, he does this kind of surfing. And well, so, that's why we're not getting another X-Files movie. <laughs> this guy needs know, to right? get off his board. Got to take this board. Yeah, away. exactly. That's really tough to get back to a laptop when you're doing yeah. that. Yeah. But he, he basically, sorry, you know, was a f- ahead of the culture curve, like a surfer. Mm-hmm. Well, and um, from, that, from that very same panel, uh, aside from... Jillian's voice. I hope I'm saying her first name right. I've actually never heard Jillian it spoken. Yep. Okay, good. All right. I got it right. Um, aside from hearing her sultry voice and, and, and finally seeing her, um, there was a couple things that we learned at Comic-Con at, uh, at the IDW panel. Um, and we're going to pretend that no one out there heard this yet, okay? But the okay, X-Files... X-Files lives on, everybody. It lives on. How does it live on? How? I know. That's the thing. I was shocked to hear this, uh, it is living on in the form of comic books. Oh, my God. It's called Season 10, X-Files, <laughs> and it is the IDW's new line that Chris Carter is, I, I, was shocked. I thought he was just calling it in, you know, like he would, like, look at this, uh, some of the sketches and go, yeah, okay. Kind of George, actively, kinda, kinda yeah, acting like a George actively involved in putting yeah. this thing together. And so it's uh, it's the season ten. It's part of the canon of the X Files, which I apparently I didn't know afterwards until I read all the tweets and everything. But I uh, he was being dodgy on that, and I put his feet to the fire and made him say, "Yes, this is official canon of the X Files lore uh, that season ten comic book is. It's not a different story. It's the actual." sort of continuation of it. Right, right. Oh, almost better than a movie. Well, yeah, you know, as a X-Files junkie, we want the story to continue. And it's it's not really important what that vehicle is. You know, we want to know right. what happens. So uh, just from all of us out there, and I speak for all X-Files fans right here. He does, forcefully. I, <laughs> I make it happen. 
we are so grateful to you know any role that you might have in, in the future, which brings me to one more thing that we found out at the IDW panel that was moderated by um, that was moderated by you that the lone gunman I think they survived, don't they? They do. How did, what the you know? How the I thing. saw them die, kinda. They didn't really, kinda. but they kinda did, right? You never saw. Well, you never you know, saw. And it's funny. I think I said this at the panel. I might have gave a truncated version of it, but uh, often at these sci-fi conventions, when someone would bring up the death of the lone gunman, I would often point out that you know when we uh, took that horrible virus hit to save tens of thousands of people. It sort of went to a white screen, and then the next shot was three uh, hermetically sealed CDC chrome coffins out <laughs> at uh, uh, the, the, the grave site, and they were all the same size. And uh, with a contaminated virus body, the coffin is supposed to be fitted to the size of the person so that there's no air for that virus to grow. And so... Uh, if you look at that final scene, all the coffins are the same size, yet one of the gunmen are shorter than the other two. Oh, and that was your indication. Devious bastard. Is that just some goof by the production manager, or do you think that was planned that way? Or is, well, that, or is that just you finding hope here? Yeah. <laughs> well, I, I no, because I, I had said that at a convention with one of the art directors uh, from the X-Files. He was backstage. And he came up and he goes, hey, that's a funny story because, you know, Chris Carter actually said, because uh, we had made one coffin shorter than the other two because we knew, you know, CDC. And, the, and Chris oh said, make them all the same size. He planned it. This son of a bitch, he planned it. I knew it. I knew it. I knew you guys weren't dead. I was so happy to see it because I, you know, I did watch that show. I thought that the Lone Gunman was excellent it was fun and it it kind of filled that little gap when the x-files started to get a little you know a little strained um yes. Long it, as we say. it did it did you know i i still watched it religiously and i was i was all i was all about it but you know it did it did kind of get a little long and the lone gunman did kind of it kind of softened it a, a little bit for us and it was nice that they gave you guys such a rousing heroic end you know uh so, you know, you guys earned it. You guys yeah. earned your place, like, on this pedestal of sci-fi geekdom, and, and uh, just well, can't and thank you enough. Well, thank you for that. And, <laughs> and it was funny because I remember distinctly the day I heard I was getting killed off. Uh, I was biking down, uh, and my phone rings, and it's Frank Spotnitz. And he goes, okay, are you sitting down? And technically I am. I'm on my bike. And he goes, okay, we're killing you off. Oh. But it's but it's going to be a heroic send off, and I thought, well, that's great because you know, we heard the last five or six episodes were coming. It was the end of the show, and I thought, what better way to go than just seeing us sort of walk off into the sunset with a stick and a hobo bag, or you know, something ridiculous <laughs> like that. Kind of like a uh, Bruce Banner in a way. <laughs> kind of like a Bruce Banner, totally yeah. like a lame old Bruce Banner ender that they can't figure out. So, so this was like kind of goes on. Late, yeah. A blaze yeah. of glory, and we were like, "Oh, I thought it was great," and uh, and I was always very supportive of that whole episode. And um, looking at season ten, um, can you give us? I actually did buy the um, special IDW Comic Con edition number one X Files oh, season did? ten comic, but I haven't did even you get cracked it. Signed? No, I was. I did not get a ticket, but it, it's fine. It, me talking to you is autograph enough, you know. Um, and 
I'm yeah, not going to be. I'm, I'm probably never even going to crack it open because I just want to keep this thing pristine. Um, and so, give us a little. You know, have you been able to to uh, read the whole series yet, or you know, have you been told? Yeah, what's I, gonna I was uh, before I uh, I moderated. They gave me uh, a PDF of the next of the first three. Oh, nice. Mm. Yeah. So, so if you don't want to crack it, and maybe this interview goes really well. It'll, Give me a little email. I'll send uh, you a little you email. You know I'm, I'm on that. I'm yep. on that. Thank you so much. Yeah. He is going <laughs> to no the problem. donate now button as we speak. <laughs> that's, that's about a $20 donation if I if yeah, I've ever heard thing one. I say, and, the, and go to that donate now button. That's right. <laughs> and for all of you out there that are associated with IDW, he did not sell it to me. I am donating. You know, I don't want you. I don't want to get you in trouble. Okay. Yeah. So, in fact, if you've got one in front of you, if you just read it to us, that would be wonderful. <laughs> That's a whole other show. We're going to have you just read That's a whole other show, panel. exactly. <laughs> page one, panel one. There's the close page up, that guy. Yeah. yeah, exactly. It's all dark. Um, uh, right. So the first, uh, well, the first episode is uh, they're on a case. Well, should I? Uh, well, no, you're going to read it one day. I'll send you. Yeah. The, I'll send you the PDF. Yeah, but the it. second one is where the reveal is of us coming back to life. Already in the a, second edition. All yeah, right. in number two. Let's just get to two. it. Yeah, they just, just get, get to it. it. And so, I think what. Uh, and I talked to Joe Harris, who's the brilliant writer, who's uh, who's key. He's writing like these episodes, and Chris Carter's advising him and stuff like that. And uh, and Joe was like, yeah, you know. The gunmen were such a uh, a great uh, writing solution when you get into certain, you know, paint yourself into a corner or you are, you know, trapped in a government facility or something like that. But, you know, the gunmen's skills of computer hacking, of surveillance, of all these things is such a brilliant way to get you from plot point A to plot point B uh, easily and convincingly and fun. So and and we really like you guys. You know, let's yeah. not let's yeah. not let's not look look over that very important fact is that we want to see lone gunmen. So well, you know, it's back. really amazing. You know, often over the years we heard chemistry, this word, this elusive chemistry that uh, actors strive for when they're on camera with their fellow actors. And uh, when we first started doing the gunmen, I had not met Bruce Harwood, who played Byers. Until I walked on set, mm-hmm. and it was like him and I were had side by side little uh, not even trailers. We had like these little uh, the four by four squares with a little sink in there. You know, it's like a tiny little room. Mm-hmm. And uh, and at the time, we just started chatting. Hey, you know, nice to meet you. And it was and then we go, who's the third gunman? And uh, Bruce says, oh, it's the first AD, the first assistant director. He's going to be reading the lines of Frohickey. I'm like, what? <laughs> what? What kind of cheap thing is this that they give the assistant director a character? And, and we find out later that he actually had acting training, and that oh, okay. you know the director know. wanted a short, weaselly look like the first assistant director. So they like an executive, so, <laughs> like an executive, exactly. So they gave him that part, and then uh, we basically, you know. Hung out and it was it was so easy having this chemistry with the three of us. Uh, it was it was always a joy to do. 
there was never friction. There was never ego. There was never anything like that. It was it was uh, basically you. It was the ridiculously easiest acting role in the history of film or television. That's only because you were good at it. So, oh, no. I'll take well that. Well done, sir. Well done. Thank you. All right. Well, before we let you go, because I know you're busy on the set, yes. but is there any kind of time frame? I understand you still have three marathons left here, but is there any time frame when we could expect the Lady Killers in theaters? Uh, I'm going to say we wrap shooting uh, August 31st, and uh, the... Uh, the first, we're going to take it to film festivals. And so I think we're probably going to Sundance in January. And then from that deal, I'm going to guess if it's per, if everything goes well from here on in and editing and everything as we envision it comes together, uh, generally a sale in January gets you some sort of, uh, springtime 2014 uh, theatrical release. So. All right. Well, I'm going to put some money in and cross my fingers, and I have total faith in you to get this done. And then we'll just—I'll uh, feel like I'm joining you on the uh, on the film festival circuit. I can't wait. Yeah. Oh, thank you. It's going to be great. All right. Well, thank you again for joining us, Dean, and everybody out there. If you cannot get enough of this guy, get the comics. And if you can't get enough of the lone gunman out of the comics listen to the chill pack hollywood hour podcast weekly every monday and don't forget theladykillers.com that's where, you can, that's where you can donate we've all yep. got to do our part to get this made i want more dean on the screen more dean ah. on the screen so thank you again dean for joining us today uh we really appreciate you coming here thanks and again thanks for coming to the panel that's awesome Oh, I couldn't. A date, I would have broke into that thing. Don't worry. Yep. He's, uh, he's got it all recorded if you need a copy. <laughs> Take care. Okay. Thank you, guys. Bye Thank now. You, Dean. Good luck, Dean. All right. Dean Hagland. Interview so nice. I'm glad I heard it twice. You're right. You're right, Mark. I knew it. But uh, now I'm looking around. Looks like the sunlight is peeking in between the curtains. The sugared chocolified milk in my cereal bowl is starting to congeal i can hear my parents grumbling in the other room the cartoons are ending and all i can find is college football i think this saturday morning's about over what do you think i think it's time to go i think so too i want to thank you guys for joining us i hope you had as much fun on the couch as we did today and just to make sure you can get up and get moving we're going to leave you with another little sample of the upcoming space command soundtrack from composer David Reichlin, who we will be talking to on our next show. Uh, this piece is entitled In the Mood. I hope it gets you there, too. Say goodbye, Marky. Goodbye. Goodbye, everybody. This is Grimshay. Thank you for joining us for Saturday Morning Serial. We'll see you next time.